Podcast listeners, welcome back. Episode 46 of the Cough Combined Podcast. Tony, New York, New York. Yes. Am I going back? <laughs> oh, we, we, I was we, there we, just several months ago. It was wonderful. We, I, was there, I was there in summer. You were there with me in winter, but I was there in summer last year and uh, for my 50th birthday, actually. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, when we went in winter, I, I reckon that's the coldest I've ever been one of the days there. That, chi- that evening? That bone-chilling wind that come through. And the, uh, that evening, yeah. that time. Uh, we'd, well, to even just walk back to the hotel room, uh, we had to just go from bar to bar to and try and warm up, didn't we? So we I had to stop I, about five times. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't mind that part of it. But look... Today, we're sort of actually talking about um, US expats. Yes. So we do a lot of work with US expats as well as Australian expats living in overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk domestically and um, the US expats living here. Uh, but what we're sort of going to talk about is the ways they can invest or um, and, and the tax implications. Now, disclaimer, you're not an accountant. I'm not an accountant. I do not do tax returns. And uh, my US expat clients, if they do their tax returns themselves, lodging their US ones, that's fine. Uh, but we highly recommend that if they're going to use an accountant, they use a specialist accountant who does specialise in US lodging US tax returns for US expats. Yeah, and we do have a lot of relationships with um, some very good people that do that. We do, some magnificent accountants. So let's talk about, I I guess, the hot word that's brought up, I reckon, at every meeting, um, PIFIC. Mm-hmm. Now, are you wanting me to define it or are you wanting to define it? Well, define it or what it stands for? Yeah, yeah, well, what's it stand for? Yeah, no, so it's, um, I actually did get asked that uh, question once and thankfully I did know the answer. It's actually just a passive foreign investment company. Okay. So uh, that's the IRS class as a passive foreign investment company. And the definition is basically uh, any company where at least 75% of the corporation's gross income is passive. So things like, for example, mutual funds. Uh, or even if you just have, you know, investment set up in what we call a controller trust, and it's just a passive investment, just earning you an income. But based on the company's assets, at least fifty percent of the company's assets are investments which produce income in the form of earned interest, dividends, or capital gains. There you go, riveting topic, isn't it? Uh, absolutely riveting. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, so, it, it, but it is important to actually understand what actually does fall in. So. If you think about, um, you know, for our US expats out there, if you think about your investments back home, you'll have your 401k plans, which is the US form of superannuation, similar Similar. uh, to our superannuation. Nothing beats our superannuation anywhere in the world, but their 401k isn't bad. Uh, So the, uh, but also two things, for example, there's a lot of clients who invest in passive uh, mutual funds or even ETFs um, or direct equities even, uh, probably to a less extent in the US. So over there, they do all have their own tax treatments, very similar to managed funds or ETFs here, uh, similar to tax treatments, unless you're a US expat investing here. So for example, things that are caught up in the PIFIC rules are simply what we call pooled investments, you can say. So our managed funds, mutual funds, um, hedge funds, insurance products. So insurance products that have a cash value that includes things like uh, investment bonds or insurance bonds, as an example. So a lot yep. of people think that's in government bonds. It's actually not. Uh, they're still classed as an insurance product. And so even though here in Australia, you might have a 10-year tax deferral on them, uh, they have to be lodged every year in your US tax return under the PIFIC rules. Fantastic. So, look, this is what I found a bit funny. I wasn't across this, but uh, how long is this? That's why you're not an advisor, yeah. Jamie. <laughs> how long has this actually been around? 
It's actually been around since 1986. Yeah, so that's what I, I found bizarre. I thought it was yeah. Well, it was, well, it was originally it was originally formed uh, back in 1986 because you had a lot of um, um, US, well, I suppose domiciled uh, US um, you know, green card holders or citizens that were actually investing offshore. And by investing offshore, they had favourable tax treatments offshore. So this has actually been around since 1986 to stuff all those offshore investments. So um, I'm just trying to think of the movie with Tom Cruise in. I think it was called The Firm. Uh, uh, do you remember that? John yeah, Grisham John Grisham was so the firm where uh, he, you know, they all their offshore investments in the Bahamas. Uh, so as an example, but yeah, that, so that that's why it was originally put in place is yeah. to stop offshore investing. Um, or money being put offshore into more favourable tax um, tax um, locations. Yeah. yeah. So let, let's talk about it from a. I'm a US expat mm-hmm. living here in Australia. Sort of, what are some of my key concerns around this? Um, the key concerns. I mean, the the thing is, I suppose what you have to consider is that there's there's a when you when you're back home there's a huge way of investments you can actually do and and where a lot of us expats i suppose get it wrong when they first come and see us is their thought process is well as long as i report all my foreign financial accounts on the f bar which is their us tax returns uh, it doesn't really matter where they keep their money and technically speaking that's actually correct uh, so you don't, the Department of Treasury is not interested in taking your money or dictating the places where you can hold it or invest it. Uh, you can invest it wherever you want. It's actually the IRS who is the issue here. And so the IRS, on the other hand, they're, they're basically the internal revenue system. Uh, on the other hand, they're just there to report foreign financial information in their accounts. And, and realistically, it's uh, if you invest in these accounts, as I said, Treasury Department, doesn't, isn't going to stop you from investing in a Vanguard Australian index fund. Uh, but on that basis, it doesn't matter what your tax return is over in the US, you're, under the PIFIC rules, you can get taxed up to 50% um, of that, whether you've realised that or not. So if you've got a nice million-dollar investment and you've had a unrealised gain and an income of $100,000, you could be up for a big tax bill without actually having even realised that you could have done your dividend reinvestment, etc. So you lose all the tax benefits that you would have if you're an, just an Australian citizen. Yep. Um, but in saying that as well, you lose all those same tax benefits that you would have had if that was in the Vanguard Index Fund in the US as in a mutual fund. Yeah. So they lose those tax benefits as well. So they don't get hit. If they had that million dollars in the Vanguard Fund in the US, they're not going to get hit with PIFIC rules for their domiciled investments in the US. That's just a normal US tax treatment. Yeah, I uh, guess, that they would actually I guess have. That's, as an expat, that'd be concerning that, yeah, I'm getting taxed here, I'm getting taxed there. Um, taxed everywhere. Can, yeah, <laughs> so, you know, I guess as, an, as a US citizen living here, can I still invest or, else, or am I going to get taxed everywhere? Well, you, you can you can actually still invest. I mean, it's it's what I mean. You can still have money in. I mean, we've got uh, one U.S. expat uh, family who we've set up an annuity, which is still an insurance product, uh, but it just pays an income, doesn't have any capital gain on it. But um, and that's been set up to over ten years to actually pay for the kids' school fees. But the way that's set up is eighty percent or about ninety percent of the total capital that they get from that annuity over this every year is actually classed as return of capital which is non-taxable so it's only a small taxable component being the income which is no different than the income you'd earn from a term deposit as an example yeah 
So you actually still can invest and it can still be done tax effectively. So in the US, they have family taxation, household taxation, whereas here it's individual. Yep. Uh, so it, you, can, you can still have that basis of being very tax effective here for that individual who might be on less than $20,000 a year income, but that income that's generated from that annuity would still have to go under FBAR. Uh, family household income yep. um, when they're lodging their tax return. Once again, disclaimer, I'm not a US uh, tax <laughs> expert. So what, what, what investments fall under the PIFIC rules? Well, I suppose what you have to understand is under those PIFIC rules, first of all, you've got all distributions are actually taxed at regular income at the highest possible federal tax rate in the US, which is 40%. So that's number one. Okay, it doesn't matter what your tax rate is, that's what you get taxed. Uh, so if you invest wrong, uh, that's not the question you ask, but I do want to spell that out. But also, too, what's really important to understand is capital gains are not eligible to be taxed at the preferred long-term capital gains rate. So in Australia, as an example, you hold that investment for more than 12 months and you sell it, that gain, you get a 50% discount yep. on that capital gain. Uh, so realistically, it, you've got uh, the gains there viewed regular income and the subject of the highest current federal tax rate, despite the marginal tax rate for which your income level qualifies. So, so based on that, you know, the, the tax on it can be quite high. But what's interesting is what's not caught under the PIFIC rules is investing in a property. So that's that's one thing that we find very interesting. A lot of a lot of our US expat clients are big property investors as well. But the idea the idea behind that is that if you go and invest in a property, any um, so you have your income uh, that you have here, yep. it is taxed at your marginal tax rate here, uh, less any expenses uh, that you have, whether it be depreciation, etc. And then the difference uh, of the tax you've already paid, just that income goes on your US tax return as well. But it's not the whole amount, it's it's less the tax that's actually being paid here. So you're not getting double taxed unless your tax rate is higher in the US than what it is here. Uh, you're not going to get uh, double taxed on that and you still get all the normal preferential taxation treatment. So, so there's superannuation as an example here is compulsory if you work for as you're an employee and you work here you're going to have your nine and a half percent rise and the 12 percent going to super those contributions 15 percent contribution tax here are still actually supposed to be put on your uh, u.s tax returns as well even though it's forced uh, yeah, that's correct. It's uh, you don't have a choice. Yeah. Uh, but you also don't get that. You also don't get a choice to take that rather than uh, having it. But that is actually tax. But once again, when it comes to property, property investing, and, and not just talking around residential um, investment uh, property here, we're talking about actually investment properties yeah. are actually not caught under the PIFIC rules. That uh, the only investment that actually isn't and still actually does have all the preferential treatment that comes with it as well. So so from that perspective, the majority of our US clients do end up buying investment properties. Yeah. Uh, and these, these, are, these are US uh, expat clients though that aren't going to just be here for one or two years. They're usually here for long term and can actually, you know, see Australia as being home. They might have... Um, um, you know, be in love now with 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 an Aussie, <laughs> so it's uh, which which can actually have advantageous uh, be advantageous as well if if your uh, domestic partner, husband or wife or whatever you want to call them, de facto, uh, if you're living together and it is a going to be a forever relationship, 
if they're an Australian citizen, you can have their best of both worlds. Yeah, on that I guess basis too, the, so. the other recommendation for them would not be not good for estate planning purposes. You've actually just beat me into it. I was, okay, I, I was, so, I was moving yeah. on from the PIFICS, and I, I was going to say, in, in that regard, though, estate planning is going to be essential for that client as well. Absolutely essential for that client. So basically, they lose the the ten million dollar US dollar um, estate tax uh, free threshold. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, they'll actually get taxed from dollar one. The so if the US uh, side of that partnership uh, passes away first, the Australian being left with inherit, including the family home, could end up facing a huge tax bill uh, if their US estate planning is not set up properly as well. A lot of people aren't aware of that. Yeah. So based based on that, you do it, it, ha- it can have its short-term advantages, but you want to make sure long-term uh, in the event of someone passing, that is set up correctly as well. So there, I, I suppose... Uh, for our US expats, we've never had any two that are the same. Yeah, we've had some in here who are planning on staying here forever and don't have any children and are just building up assets and good cash flow. We have others uh, that you know uh, still have their US citizenship but have been here for thirty years and are married with children, um, etc. So, and you know where with the husband or wife might be actually an Australian. Uh, they might have lived or met overseas, etc. And we have others which were actually born here but still hold on to their US citizenship and a lot of them are actually questioning whether they're actually going to continue keeping their US citizenship because they are planning on staying here but their children might have been born in the US as an example yeah. um, as well So, and that can have estate planning implications too so I suppose at the end of the day what we're trying to say is if you are going to get advice make sure you do seek advice from a planner who understands the tax obligations doesn't necessarily have to lodge tax returns, but understands the tax obligations, and secondly, understands the tax implications of any investment recommendation that they make for you. Yep, Tony, thanks for today. Look, it is a bit of a change up. But, Jamie, my uh, absolute pleasure. I always love chatting to you, as I get to do for several hours every single day. That's right. But look, you know, a lot of these questions have been asked, um, and as as we said, we're working with a lot of US expats, so this is information that these people want to hear um, and I think it's actually hard to find a lot of this information as well it is and I think listen in closing I suppose one of the things is that there's there's two types of US expats so as an example I know we, we know uh, from our own research Australian expats if you're an Australian expat going to say the UAE you're going there for a large uh, very tax effective income if you're an Australian expat in London, you're usually working in a bar and backpacking around London, different age. And if you're going to pack up your family and go to the US from Australia, you're usually going for a substantial pay rise yep. uh, when you go over there as well. Same with US expats here. You have some who just come for a couple of years and are touring around, etc. And then you have others that are brought over by a, the large US company that they actually work for. And, you know, we've got a few at Microsoft as an example. Um, and they will be clients here. And uh, But they're, you know, it might have been on a four or five year contract, but they end up staying for life. And it's no different than what my sister and her, her family did when they moved to North Carolina, US. It was originally a two year contract. They're never coming back. Yeah. So it's uh, my niece's first year law, I think, at uh, North Carolina University. Um, she'll end up going and working in the UN, I think. So it's um, so that that's her 
what she dream. yeah her dream and what she wants to do so it's uh but but that's an example where they went over there for two years and uh didn't come back she went to london for six weeks and came back 10 years later with her family so it's, uh, and and that that is that is the global world that we actually live in today so it's more that if you are over here and you are planning on staying or being here for a number of years you just have to make sure that what you do with your money is correct yeah tony thank you and uh, let's look forward to next week thank you